Hi, I'm Don Mackey, welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Well, hello. This is Don Mackey, your host today for Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. And joining me is a long-term friend, colleague, and I would say teacher and mentor, Mylon Wall. Mylon, welcome to our podcast today. Hey, Don. Thank you very much for asking me to do this with you. Oh, I'm 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 tickled and I'm looking forward. Today we're going to talk about community capacity building, which is something you've had more than a little experience with. And of course, we also both hail from western Nebraska. I graduated from high school in Ogallala and I believe you were a bulldog in North Platte. North Platte High School Bulldogs. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we grew up kind of down the road from each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's still one of my favorite parts of Nebraska, and I'm sure you claim North Platte as a hometown. I claim Ogallala as a hometown, and it's part of my history. Yeah, I still think of myself as a Western Nebraska kid on a regular (laughs) basis, frankly. Yeah, (laughs) me too. Well, Mylon, you and I have worked together for a long time, and I, I think it'd be good for our listeners for you to just share a little bit about your career and work through the Heartland Center for Leadership Development, where you were a co-founder with Vicki Luther and have operated the Heartland Center for a long time. So share a little bit about your journey in this field of community economic development, and then we'll probably jump into a few other questions as we go. Well, thanks, Don. So I'm one of those people who have enjoyed several careers, you might say. After graduation from the University of Nebraska, I went into print journalism, spent eight years working for a newspaper. And when I decided it was time to move on, I went to work for the University of Nebraska, kind of doing two things. I was a research project administrator for a federally funded investigation of, of all things, long distance learning techniques way before the internet. So we were using public television, public radio, and other forms of traditional media to basically experiment with how you would do this. I also was an adjunct teacher of journalism at the University of Nebraska during that period of time. And eventually, I also ran for public office, got elected to the Board of Education here where I'm living now in Lincoln, Nebraska. And about that time, the farm crisis came along. We had a lot of doom and gloom about the future of small towns, most of which said what they couldn't do. They were either too far away from an interstate, otherwise too isolated, not proximate enough to a natural resource base that would allow them to thrive. And when Vicki Luther and I started the Heartland Center, 
we decided to take a contrary approach, we went out and found small towns that were thriving, first in Nebraska, eventually in a total of about 15 states. And we did case study research trying to discover what was behind these communities' successes. And our research produced 20 characteristics of thriving small towns that we call 20 clues to rural community survival. And if you look down that list, the first is evidence of community pride, for example. Number 20 is the belief that in the long run, you have to do it yourself. And in the middle of the list is a deliberate transition of power to a younger generation of leaders. We brought together a group of intelligent people to help us look through those case studies and what we thought that we were learning. And the conclusion was that what leaders say and do are the most significant indicators of community success. It's not how big you are, where you're located, what sort of highway you're next to or not. It's what you do with what you have. This was before McKnight and Cressman invented asset-based community development, but that's really what we fell into as a part of this case study research. So our conclusion was if leadership is that important, then we need to figure out a way to focus on strengthening leadership. And that became the basis for the conceptual framework that caused us to start this organization, the Heartland Center for Leadership Development. We are an independent 501c3, and we support our work basically through grants and contracts. And in the 35 years or so that we've been doing this, the basic assumptions that drew us into community capacity building seem to hold up over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, as part of your resume, your journalism background, you've had the opportunity to take my rough writings and edit them to something more accessible and readable over the years. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Don. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, sir. <laughs> and I've got my clues book close. I still use it periodically when I want to reference that early case study research that you guys have done. It is still very relevant today, even though it's getting a little bit of a you know, shelf life to it. And so that's neat. Well, one of the joint ventures that we had the opportunity to work on together with Jeff Yost and the Nebraska Community Foundation and others was something called hometown competitiveness. We got some support from the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. And I think our, our listeners would like to understand, you know, the four pillars of that and particularly you led the leadership pillar, some of your insights building on the role of leadership as one of those pillars of rural community success. Yes, that was a really seminal project, I think, in the history of the Heartland Center and probably your organization and Nebraska Community Foundation. I think it reinforced a lot of what we thought we knew, but it also taught us some new things. Um, we focused, as you indicated, on 
basically four pillars. Leadership was one of those, entrepreneurship, youth engagement, community philanthropy, and helped our stakeholder communities develop their own strategies using those four themes as kind of operating principles. That whole project reinforced, again, the importance of leadership, which I sort of think of as, I think this is your term, Don, foundational to community and economic development and to anything you want to do under those kinds of rubrics. But leadership also needs to be closely intertwined with other strategic priorities, such as those that hometown competitiveness laid out. Leadership does not operate in a vacuum. It operates in the context of a community or region, whatever territory you're wanting to point out or point to. And within that context, leadership can be a driving force, but it needs to be a collaborative endeavor. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. I remember it was a late night I pick up Rick Foster, who was one of our collaborators, then a vice president with the Kellogg Foundation. I think we were having a field day up in Ord, and and Rick and I had a very engaging conversation as we drove from Omaha to uh, Ord that night. And I remember one of the things that Rick shared is leadership with an intention, with a purpose. How do you grow leadership that's actually going to broaden your community's engagement in its own kind of development? And I don't know if you remember, because I know we had conversations with Rick about that, but I do think it's a major takeaway for me as I think about leadership is that intentionality of why are we developing leadership? You mentioned or the community that, of course, you and I have worked in for, I guess, upwards of 20 years or worked with off and on over a couple of decades. Not a huge community, about, what, 2,300 or so in the community, maybe twice that in the county where it's located. This is a community that has set some real interesting <laughs> standards, I think, for community leadership development and capacity building. We help them start kind of a modest leadership development program called, I think, Leadership Quest. And they ran with that for several years after they learned how to do it. They were happy to do it on their own, which was great. And then at some point, they got a lot more ambitious about shooting up the effort and attention on leadership development a lot more than, frankly, we had helped them do to that date. They found a university professor from a campus in Minnesota who they contracted with at considerable time and expense, big investment to come to their community and teach leadership development with the point of view of what I would refer to as empowering people to be truly strategic and collaborative about what leaders should do to further community vitality. And that effort has been really significant. Hundreds of people have gone through the program. 
there are now, I think, like three levels of the program, as well as a youth contingent for that program. And I've been talking recently to a lot of the folks who have gone through that program and been key to their community's leadership strengths. And over and over, I hear a celebration of what they've been able to do by increasing and strengthening community capacity. They take a very inclusive attitude toward community leadership. I've talked to some people who we would call newcomers to the community, I guess. And they basically said, the minute I got here, I felt welcome. I was invited to contribute to our community in leadership capacities. I feel supported. I feel engaged. I feel welcomed. And and I feel like I'm making a great contribution, which you don't always hear in every small town, at least throughout the Great Plains. Yeah, too often it's a question of how many generations have you been there before you get accepted, let alone if you're a relatively newcomer. I know you are active in this story capture that we've got a fairly interesting team of folks that are really documenting. Ord was our first hometown competitiveness community, and you're capturing stories focused on this role of leadership. Our friend David Iaquinta has also been involved in some of this story capture, and David uses the term agency, that one of the things that he's really found in Ord is average citizens, people we might call community builders, have agency to act. And thoughts about that as you've done your interviews recently and and looked at the research on how Ord has really transformed itself from crisis to now a remarkably thriving community? Yeah, a couple things about that, Don, that I think I've picked up. One is there's a lot of reference when you talk to people in Ord to abundance, that there's an attitude that everyone can participate and everyone can benefit. And that's somewhat unusual in my experience. I think that Leadership from a collaborative perspective is now infused into this community's culture. It's just the way people behave now. And no one is feeling like they're been forced to do anything or required to do anything. What I am picking up is that people want to contribute and they're going to find a way to do it that fits their needs, their passions and their interests, and that all gets celebrated. I mean, they do an annual celebration, which is kind of typical, but they celebrate it day in and day out, the way I am reading it. And I think that has transformed this community, frankly, from one that was kind of on a losing track to one now that is spiraling upward, to use a metaphor that our friends Mary Emery and Neil Flora came up with several years ago. Yeah. Well, and I think it has implications, Mylan, for sustainability. I mean, one of the questions was, 
There's been this remarkable group of leaders in Ord. What happens as they retire and leave the scene? Will there be a new generation? I'm sensing, and I'm curious if you are too, that the fact that this is becoming embedded in the culture way of being and behaving, that that bodes well for Ord's ability to continue to sustain a high level of development into the future. Yeah, I have probed on that specifically, Don, trying to understand the extent to which this is, as you say, so embedded in the culture of the community now that no one seems to be concerned about that point when the champions who helped get all this going are going to step aside. In fact, in many ways, they've stepped aside already by empowering so many other people in the community. That's a very healthy and hopeful sign, it seems to me. People now feel like, and maybe this is what David means by agency, that they can pick up the ball and run with it. (laughs) And if they're going in the right direction, a lot of other people are going to be running along with them. And if they're not, others will say, well, just a minute. Let's talk about that. So I think there's a tremendously healthy attitude that is really, as I say, now infused into how this community does things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Myland, as we wrap up, I've got one more question for you. You've pretty well made the case that leadership is a core element of community capacity. It clearly shows that in the org story and its success. What are some of the other community capacity elements that you think contribute to the ability of a rural town or city or village or region to achieve a higher level of success and prosperity? Yeah, that's a great question, Don. And a lot of these things are obviously related, perhaps intertwined, but communities that have what I call an entrepreneurial attitude, I think are the ones that figure out a way to work into the future and continue to build upon success. And the entrepreneurial attitude has some risk-taking elements to it. It also has a strong emphasis on strategic priorities. What specifically will take us to the next level is a question that I think people ask themselves whether they phrase it that way or not. These are communities that build on their assets, but they're not satisfied if they're not also finding other assets. Many times that means intellectual ideas, things that other communities have tried and succeeded at that they can adapt. I'm reminded, Don, of one of our mentors, Dr. Robert Manley, whose scholarly interest was studying successful communities on the Great Plains. Dr. Manley was a historian, as you know, a regional historian. And the way I heard him describe it was he wondered What was behind the thinking of people who came to this part of the country in the late 1800s looked at what was described as a desert or wasteland on the maps of the time and saw communities and then figured out how to build them. 
And uh, Dr. Manley's conclusion, as described to me one time, was it takes a combination of vision and persistence. And I thought that was just a wonderfully telling phrase. Yeah, and I think one of the things Zor's done is it's reconnected to its town-building history, its entrepreneurial history, and it's kind of re-energized that to really take the community to the next level. Well, Mylon, this has been wonderful, but before we let you go, we'd like you to maybe let our listeners know how can they learn more about you and your work and the Heartland Center for Leadership Development. Where would you send them? Well, no big surprise. I'd probably send them to my website first, www.heartlandcenter.info, I-N-F-O. You can tap into that, see how to connect with me directly if you want to do that, either by phone or with an email connection, and I'll be happy to get right back to you. And can people still find copies of the Clues book, even though it's been a while since your last edition came out? Well, that's a good question, Don, and the answer is yes and no. There are a few copies of the last printed edition available. Somebody the other day found a couple on Amazon. They told me we are in the process of updating that book again, and this time it will be an online resource. And when we post it, you'll be able to download it free of charge and use it as your own resource. Great. Well, Myland, uh, thank you for your friendship. Thanks for the chance to work with you. And so appreciate you joining us for our podcast today. Yeah, this has been really fun, Don. Thank you so much for this occasion and all the others where we've got to work together. You bet. You bet. Well, as we wrap up, folks, today, I just want to remind you of some of the resources. We will have a landing page for this podcast, and one of our communications persons will make sure that that website that Mylon shared with you is part of that, so you know how to find Mylon in the Heartland Center. Of course, you can go to our website, energizingentrepreneurs.org. There you're going to find a whole set of free website resources. You can join our E2 National Practitioners Network and access our framework for growing an entrepreneurial community. We also offer a monthly newsletter, and I believe, Myland, you have a newsletter as well that you can sign up through Myland's site. And, of course, you can, through your favorite platform, sign up for our Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. So we hope you take advantage of those resources. Look forward to some of our future episodes that we will be posting about growing prosperous communities in rural America. Mylon, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Don. And folks, take care until we connect again on our next podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. <music>